love puffballs. I like turtles. And lightsaber frog calls. Fresh steamy scat filled with persimmon seeds. Hi, my name's Alan Saylor, and... I'm Cassie Stanley. We're from the Great Plains Nature Center, and you're listening to That's My Favorite, the podcast where we geek out with naturalists. Uh, I want to introduce our guest today. He is a, uh, a professor, a researcher, an author, and a, uh, a spider scientist. Uh, he is Dr. Dustin Wilgers uh, from McPherson College, and he's going to be telling us today about his favorite, which is... Spiders. Spiders. Awesome. Okay. So uh, I, I have to say, in, in the with all the episodes we've done of this so far, I don't think anybody has uh, approached spiders as their favorite yet. I don't think we've had anything. <laughs> uh, and that, that's probably not surprising to you, I would, I would think. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us why, uh, why are spiders your favorite? Um, well, I'll probably be honest. Um, like if I would have looked back in grade school, when I was in college, when I was um, all the way up through college, I would probably have said spiders were not my favorite. In fact, I had a, a pretty mild fear of them. Uh, and just because I didn't know about them, um, I really started becoming interested in spiders, uh, in graduate school, I, uh, I was working on my PhD at, uh, at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. My advisor, Dr. Eileen Hebbett, uh, worked on spiders, and I was interested in communication um, for the most part, and really wanted to kind of dive into animal behavior and the ways that different organisms communicated. Um, and she introduced me to spiders, and to be honest, I had no clue what I was getting into. Um, yeah, I, they, I, I started working on them and understood a little bit about the ways they communicate, um, and that kind of started my fascination. Uh, you know, that's that's really good to hear uh, that you kind of came around to it later on, and I guess in your uh, uh, in your your journey here, because I'm I guess I'm kind of a. Uh, a rehabilitating arachnophobe myself. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about spiders either for a long time. Um, I think it's because I saw, uh, you know, the old movie, the fly, uh, when I was really young and there was like yeah. that, that scene where the, the guy, he's like, you know, the fly is in the web and the spider's coming for him. I think that kind of, you know, that probably traumatized my young brain for a while. So, um, yeah, I was definitely not a spider fan, uh, but I, I'm, you know, I'm coming around. I'm definitely getting better. Um, Cassie, you, when did you start? You, you're, you're more of a, a spider fan than, uh, than I was for sure. Yeah, I'd say I've loved spiders pretty much as long as I can remember. I had my first opportunity to hold a tarantula in first grade, and I just fell in love. I think part of it, honestly, was that I saw how much it freaked the other kids out, and I thought that was kind of cool. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, that's <laughs> that's uh, that's a, that, I guess that's an interesting thing that would draw you to it. That's uh, that probably says uh, something interesting about you. Yeah, probably. Um, okay, so the you said the. Uh, the fact or the way that spiders communicate is a big part of what drew you to them. Um, you know, that's this is uh, this is not something that I guess uh, a lot of people probably think about. Um, you know, obviously spiders seem like they're uh, completely silent; that they're not uh, that they're not doing uh, any a lot of interaction at all. They seem pretty solitary and quiet. Um, tell us, how do they communicate? What is that world like? So. 
so spiders communicate um, using a variety of different signals. Uh, they use, uh, in many cases, courtship dancers. Um, one of the things that I focused on uh, for my PhD was uh, was trying to understand um, their flex signals, which means they're, they're using multiple signals and many different modalities all at the same time. So uh, a courtship display by a male uh, can oftentimes, um, it'll include a visual display where they're waving their legs. That's probably the, one of the more obvious things. If you've ever looked up um, some of the more common and more popular YouTube videos on peacock spiders, those visual leg waves are really dramatic. They're really, really funny to watch. Um, but at the same time that they're doing that visual display, they're making vibrations on the substrate. So they're vibrating the ground with their abdomen. They're vibrating the ground with um, organs in their legs that stridulate, that move back and forth and cause vibrations sent through the substrate, whether they're standing on leaves or grass or anything that sends that and is picked up by the female somewhere. Um, and uh, on top of those two things, they're communicating chemically through the silk that they, that they lay on the ground. And so all of these things put together um, are... Um, or these complex displays that, you know, you, like, you, you don't, like you said, you don't realize the complexities of the spider world until you actually kind of look into it a little bit and, and focus on attention, uh, which is kind of the part that I became fascinated with. That is, that is really fascinating. And, you know, for as much as I um, love and have learned about spiders, um, I had no idea about the the ground vibrations that you were talking about. How how far away can another spider sense those stridulations that are being sent through the substrate, through the ground under the spider? Um, well, it depends on the substrate that they're standing on. And so some substrates vibrate um, and can carry those vibrations a good distance, and then others can't. Um, it, it's really tough to say how far away, but I know we I know we've detected vibrations using uh, some of the equipment that we have in our labs called laser barometer, that we can detect vibrations a foot or two away pretty easily. Um, and my guess is that, um, that the spiders can detect that uh, as well, um, if, if at least somewhat close to that. So if they, they, can, they can send vibrations um, pretty good distances on, on good substrates. Some substrates attenuate or silence that signal a little bit quicker than others. Um, one of the ways that we did, or we essentially muted a spider from being able to, to communicate vibrationally was by putting them on granite. So that's something that they can't vibrate because that's so dense and they're so light that if we wanted them to not be able to communicate vibrationally so we could tell how important the vibrational signal is to that whole courtship display is we put them on granite and see if females would respond to males in the same way, then they could not pick up the vibration and should and could just pick up the visual display. Without without that component of the vibration, does that create any issues then with the courtship? Uh, I, I, I was... Uh... Uh, you know, I was I was doing a little uh, reading on Black Widows and and mm-hmm. found that uh, there there was a a study saying that you know the the uh, the males will vibrate the web in a specific way when they're approaching the female, 
to avoid yeah. getting eaten, right? To, to to announce their yeah. presence in such a way that you know, hey, this is I'm not prey. I, I you know, I'm I'm here to see you. Right? I'm, a, I'm an eight, not a meal, is what he's what he's trying to say essentially. And then, um, see, what we found out, um, and, and this is pretty consistent across many different spiders. The ones that we worked with um, were wolf spiders, um, the, some of the ground dwellers. Um, but, but vibration plays a much larger role in their communication system than visual displays do. Um, and so when you remove vibration, in many cases, it disrupts the ability of females to assess males or recognize that anything is going on. So you really reduce uh, mating rates, mating success, whenever a female cannot um, hear or feel a, a male around. Yeah, that's really crazy. Uh, just the, you know, I, I, I'm kind of curious. So, you know, with the, you, you obviously probably use some very sensitive equipment to be able to detect these vibrations, right? They, I, I, I would like, are they, there's no way that they would be audible to just a, someone listening, right? You, you'd have to have some really sensitive microphones, generally speaking. Um, or... Well, no, I mean, I would put them on a piece of, um, of filter paper, just just normal white filter paper, um, and um, what we would do to get males to start courting is we would put a female um, on that paper and let her walk around on the paper for an hour. And when she's doing that, she's laying a whole bunch of silk that's that's got pheromones on it. Um, and when we introduce the male, even without the female there, just with the silk, a male knows that a female is in that area. And he will begin courtship. And on just a white paper, um, I sometimes hear the buzzing um, that the male is producing, the, the vibrations that he's producing on that piece of paper. Now, I can't oftentimes hear all of the intricacies of, of that display and recording it on a laser vibrometer or some kind of uh, other instrument uh, allows you to kind of pull out the details um, that that you that you can't hear with the with your ear, but you can definitely hear them vibrating. They they do create an acoustic um, uh, air that um, you can hear. That's really cool. So do you have you have actual like sound files of these uh, basically like yeah. kind of spider drum solos and uh... absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I recorded a lot of them. Um, part of what I did um, for my PhD was trying to figure out what information is in that. Um, that signal, and so I, I, I fed some males a whole lot of food, and I fed other males um, not as much food, and uh, then listened to and, and recorded their their vibrations, and found out that that their vibrations, their, their signals are different. Um, that if females are paying attention um, to that signal they could actually tell the difference between a male that's able to catch a lot of food and a male that's not able to catch a lot of food. It might make a difference in the kind of mate that she wants. Oh, wow. Okay. That is, I wouldn't have thought that. That's that's So there's the, the variations are, are something that... Uh... Okay, that a a discriminating female is definitely paying attention to that. That's uh, I didn't really think that would be like a a way to advertise kind of your your fitness as a mate. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. I'm I'm gonna have so, to have you send us one of those uh, uh, sound files just so we can we can put it in the show notes, get an idea of what that does sound like. That that's that's very cool. <laughs> I'm, uh, on a side note, when I was trying to 
those vibrations, um, I didn't realize how lucky I was getting um, whenever I was making the recordings. I was just getting frustrated because one of the spiders that I had uh, ran underneath the laser that was supposed to be recording and recording. And, um, and so he sat there for probably about 10 minutes and I was listening uh, using some, some headphones. And I didn't realize what I was hearing at the time was the spider's heartbeat. So the, high, the, the laser was actually right down on the abdomen where the heart is, is directly underneath that, that, that exoskeleton. And the heart was beating you know, just enough to where it created a vibration in that exoskeleton um, that could be picked up by the laser vibrator. And it just sounded like a... <laughs> and so I was listening to that point, not really recognizing what I was doing and uh, what I was hearing. And, and then I pushed record, and I only got about 10 seconds of recording of a spider heartbeat before it then ran and, and and I couldn't get any more recordings of it. So that just shows how, how sensitive some of this equipment is, is to be able to record a, a spider heartbeat um, and you could actually listen to it acoustically. Wow. That is really awesome. I I feel like that's probably a sound like I would think very few people have probably heard, you know, and yeah. just like in the entirety of human history, like, you know, spider heartbeats are probably not something that um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no not a lot of people yeah. are gonna notice. <laughs> uh so you worked with primarily wolf spiders. Are there some other uh, are there some other um, species of spiders in uh you know, in the US or, or in the world that that you just uh, really find fascinating, either for their their ability to communicate or for their courtship. Uh, you know, I, I imagine you, you know, you you have to you have to read about this quite a bit. Uh, so, uh, what what else is out there that that really fascinates you? Um, to be honest, before I to be before I started working on wolf spiders, um, I really got uh, involved in the spider uh, kind of through jumping spiders, and I, I, there's just something about jumping spiders. I, I call them the teddy bears of the spider world. Like if you can't love a jumping spider, you just can't love spiders. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. They, they just they, they look like they have this just this curious personality. You you walk up to them, and they will orient and face you, and you can oftentimes see them kind of cocking their uh, their their. Side. Um, the courtship displays that they enter are, are, are a little more complex than the ones that, the, that I studied with bull spiders. Um, they're, they're a little more colorful, um, and I, I would have loved to work on them, um, but I, the, the species that I was looking for, I, I couldn't find them here. I would, I'd work for, for a couple days searching for jumping spiders to collect for my behavioral studies. And I might come away with 30 or 40. Um, and when I started working on wolf spiders, I could come up with 30 or 40 wolf spiders searching at night in about an hour. Um, I could come away with, with a couple hundred um, in an evening search. So I'm like, you know what, I guess sample size went, and um, I'll work on wolf spiders. And I don't regret it for a second, because I, I just love my system um, that I worked on but Jumping spiders, I would go back to working on um, if I if I ever if I ever could find them. 
that yeah, that is interesting. I mean, uh, so I I feel like I have an idea of how you would find wolf spiders. Um, how what so I guess what's your method for finding various kinds of spiders when you go out hunting for them? Because, I mean, they're yeah, they're 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 pretty elusive generally. You know, I mean, it it it's hard to it's hard to run into them, especially the ground spiders. So so tell me how how do you yeah. go out and search for those? So for for the for the jumping spiders, um, most often I would I would I would look on any kind of vertical surface that they might be hunting on. Um, I would flip rocks because they oftentimes make um, nest retreat underneath the rocks, and if you could catch them, the, so jumping spiders are, are diurnal. Um, they're so focused on um, hunting visually that um, they're they're active more often during the day. So they're retreat. If you can go in there and, uh, and, and flip rocks and find their nests um, early enough, then you can oftentimes find them in there and collect them that way. Um, so that, that, that took a lot of flipping rocks, turning things over, trying to find different silk retreats. Um, wolf spiders are way easier. Um, if you are looking for wolf spiders during the day, and if, you, if you're walking on, the, on, on through grasses, the ones that I collected are, are mostly tall grass species. Um, it almost be impossible. I mean, there's the, the ground is loaded with them. They're active during the day and during the night. Um, and they're so well camouflaged and they're so fast that you'll have very little chance at collecting any. Um, but you kind of um, flip the script on wolf spiders when you can look for them at night. Uh, the way I was collecting the numbers that I could is by using an adaptation that these wolf spiders had kind of against them. Um, they have a tapetum at the back of their eye, which is a mirror at the back of their of their eye, which takes any light that isn't absorbed by the photoreceptors in their eye, and it reflects that back across their eyes. And it gives their photoreceptors a second chance to absorb that photon of light. Um, so it, it, I, I wouldn't say maybe it effectively doubles the brightness that they're in, but it definitely makes it brighter, and so they can see things at night uh, in, in low-light situations that we can't see because we don't have that adaptation. So I use that against them. Um, I go out with a flashlight or a headlamp, and when you shine a headlamp onto the grasses, it will go and it'll hit the mirror at the back of that eye, and it'll come right back at you. And it shines and it almost looks like a, a emerald or some kind of jewel sparkling on the grass. Um, and they stick out like a sore thumb. Their camouflage no longer works for them. Um, they're just standing out, and, and you can see wolf spiders as large as you know, three, four inches across, um, all the way to wolf spiders that are no bigger than a pinhead. You can see their eye shine from 10 to 15 feet away, no problem. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I've... I've definitely gone out at night uh, trying that eye shine trick, looking for spiders, and you see something, you know, that, yeah, like you said, it's 10, 15 feet away, and it's reflecting back at you so brightly that you're like, oh, I found a big one, and you get up close, and it's just, it's smaller than your fingernails, the tiniest little guy you've ever seen. It's a really cool trick. It's amazing. Yeah, you got, like, you can, you can walk up, and in the middle of the day, you can look down on this patch of ground, and this spider is virtually invisible. You could, it's so small that you couldn't even see it um, standing there right on top of it. Mm-hmm. But yet at night, you can see 
that tiny of a spider from 15 foot away, um, and it looks, and it, it stands out like uh, it just is. I mean, so yeah, I guess if you're wanting to know how many spiders are in your backyard, uh, you could go and check that at night with a flashlight. Or maybe if you don't, then maybe you shouldn't. Uh, you know, that's well, uh, that's up to you. More often, than, more often than not, people don't want to know that, that answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's probably the case. Um, <laughs> Now, oh, I, you know, I was thinking of a question as you were saying this, though, because it does reflect so brightly. Does that does that create like an issue for like predators or anything like that with wolf spiders? I mean, it's it's obviously probably less reflective by like moonlight and starlight, but I mean, um, does the fact that they have that eye shine does that does that draw attention to them in any way, or is uh, I don't know if that's is that a thing? <laughs> no. I think it would, um, and and the reason that, that they shine back so brightly is because we have a tiny great battery, um, and it hits their eye and it comes back at the same angle that the light's coming in, and so um, moonlight would not create um, much of an issue um, where where you actually see an eye shine um, with just simple moonlight, just like when you're driving on roads and you can see the. The, the reflection from some of the more nocturnal mammals um, that when you see those eyes in the ditch, right? You couldn't see those eyes at night under just moonlight. There's just not enough light out there. But with, that headlight, with, with your headlight on your car driving down the road, um, there's enough light there that it bounces back and you can pick up those two eyes pretty quickly. Um, so I don't think it would give any kind of disadvantage um, to the spider, uh, if it did, um, the advantages of being able to see a little bit better at night clearly outweigh the disadvantages because they still have it. If it was a disadvantage and it was a, you know, there was a cost to it, more likely than not, these spiders would have evolved away from that, and that adaptation would have disappeared. Uh, that's a fair point. Yeah, evolution's got that covered. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so jumping spiders were kind of the uh, uh, the one that uh, the one that got away, I guess, for you. Uh, the one that you'd like to go back and study. Um, you know, Cassie was just telling me yesterday that the one and only time she's been bitten by a spider was a jumping spider, <laughs> yes. uh, which is oh really yeah yeah. That's, that's... yeah. And and as I informed Alan, it, it was purely my fault. I was trying to pick it up with bare hands. Um, there were others around who were not fond of spiders and wanted it removed from the area. So I thought I would try to, <laughs> you know, put it somewhere safe. And um, he felt like I was invading his space. So so that was on me. Yeah. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> uh, it's bound to happen. Yes. Uh, is, uh, is is getting spider bites, is that, uh, is that kind of an occupational hazard for, for you as a, as a, a spider researcher or... That's a great question. I, you know, it, it, it's, it's the question when I when I started working with spiders, I asked my advisor first off. I was like, I, I was very straightforward with her. I said, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit scared of spiders. I got a, a mild case of arachnophobia here. I just got to know, like, what's it feel like to get bit by a spider? And she looked at me and she's like, well, if you ever get bit, you're just going to have to let me know. And I looked at her, I'm like, so you've, you've been working with spiders as long as you have. You've, been, you've probably handled thousands of spiders, and you've never been bit by one. And she goes, no, they just don't bite that often. And I was like, okay, that's all I needed to know, and I, I'm, I'm in. And 
Now, I will say, it didn't even take me a year and a half later, that I was the first um, graduate student to be bitten in the Hebbets lab. I, it didn't take me very long, and I was bitten. And I was bitten two or five times by the end. Um, but just like Cassie said, I was trying to see, I could have avoided this if I would have been using, like, a probe or kind of a pencil to be getting the spiders out of their cages. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I just put my finger down in there, and I would oftentimes touch the back leg. And sometimes I just, I'd catch them in moments. They'd turn around, and they would, um, they would at that point. But one of the times I got bit, um, one of my, I was looking at uh, the, the four leg gallery the wolf spiders that I work on, some males, or all males have black legs, um, and I was trying to figure out what the effect of the coloration of the leg had on female um, mating preferences. So to do that, I had to paint the male's legs um, either black as a positive control or brown as a negative control to remove the, the black coloration and make it look like the rest of the body. And one of the times I was painting the male's forelegs, uh, I didn't pay attention to where my, my, my forefinger was, and it was pretty much right in his face, and he was just chomping away. And I could tell because my fingers started to itch and tingle a little bit, and I looked down like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. Uh, I'm sorry. I'll let you, I'll let you go now. And I, I, I get your point. You don't like your legs. <laughs> so so you said uh, it kind of tingled a little is that the main um, effect of the bite or what did that what what do they feel like it's, in this one for for the wolf spider i work uh-huh. on uh, it's a it's a common grass spider rabidosa punchalata uh, and they're actually uh they'll be mature in the in the grasslands here at great plains nature center all around the midwest sometime late august all the way through they'll be active all the way through middle of October, uh, and their, their bite, to me, tingled at first, it kind of, you kind of have this prickling feeling in your in your finger, and then it turned not too long after that to an itch, uh, but within 15 minutes, I'd forgotten that I got bit, and I went back to doing the same thing that probably got me bit in the first place. I'm not a, I'm not a fast learner uh, in that just but, but everybody responds differently. I mean, just like just like with these things. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the issues uh, is if this this venom doesn't have a, like a consistent effect on on everybody. Um, it's not meant for us. It's meant for the insects that they're biting. Uh, but in some cases, you can have a reaction to that to that venom, uh, and uh, it. it it would. I've never. I've never seen somebody have a reaction to that, but I know it's possible. Um, so it varies. And that the the way I the way I perceive the bite was itching and tingling, and it didn't last long. Well, that's good to know. I, <laughs> hopefully, we'll hopefully we won't have to find out. I think I'm getting itchy just uh, listening to this conversation <laughs> here. Um, so, yeah. uh, okay. So um, now, all just to clarify, all spiders do have venom right there's no such thing as a non-venomous spider because it's kind of it's kind of critical for how they feed right or is that that's that's correct it, it is that is yes they do they do um 
I, 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 I cannot remember off the top of my. I, I do. I think there is one small group of spiders that that does not have venom in it, and I cannot remember the family off the top of my head. But the vast majority, ninety nine point nine percent of spiders, uh, are venomous. So. That's interesting, yeah, because I, I feel like a lot of people will ask, you know, oh, is this, you know, when they're asking a spider question, yeah. is this venomous? Because, you know, it's like, well, it's not like with snakes. I mean, they, yeah, they all they all are, but, yeah, for, it's generally not a problem for us most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like you said, Dustin, their, their venom's intended for their prey, for the insects that they're trying to eat. Yeah, yeah and that's the, most of the time, um, the first, like, oh, I get, I get pictures of spiders, so soft. Um, of people saying, you know, what is this spider? And then I'll send them a message back and they say, is it, is it venomous? Or actually sometimes they'll confuse it with poisonous. And I, I don't really want to go down that path of trying to, con- to correct them of poisonous versus venomous. But okay. <laughs> I think what they're meaning is, is it dangerous, right? I, I, it's not like, because I, I have to, I always, I, I get, there's my snarky sense of humor is when they cut, when they message me and say, is it venomous? I'm like, yes. And then I wait for just a little bit. And then they, like, always send me that, like, the shock emoji, like, what? And I'm like, but it's not dangerous. Like, I think you meant that. Like, all spiders are venomous. But there's only a few of them that have consistent reactions in humans that would cause any kind of health risk. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, a, that's, you know, and that, I mean, that's really a good, uh, probably a good message for, you know, anybody feeling a little bit of arachnophobia. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, their their bites are not dangerous, and they aren't, sounds like, uh, they aren't going to waste their time biting things that they can't eat. So, I mean, so yeah. we, we are, we seem like we're pretty much in the, in the clear as long as we're not really harassing them, so. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm kind of curious um, if we can go back to you talked about a study where you painted spider legs oh, yeah. and I'm, I'm kind of just interested in that process like what is it even like to try and paint a spider leg but I also was curious to hear a little bit more about the results from from that study that you did um, so yeah I the, the process of, of painting spider legs so I, I would I would use a q-tip um, and just some, some basic water-based acrylic paint um, and uh, I would get them I just wanted to paint their front legs not all of them mm-hmm. um, and so to get them to sit still I, I put them in a Ziploc bag and if you cut the corner of the Ziploc bag and then encourage the spider to go towards that corner when they find an opening they'll try to get out and as long as you cut the corner of the Ziploc bag just small enough to where they can get the front legs out but then not get their entire body out. Uh, once they get those front legs out, you just put, um, you just kind of put your finger down behind their body so they can't back up. Okay. And their legs are stuck out the corner. And then you just can paint those legs. You let them dry. And as soon as they're dry, you let, then you take your finger off and they could back up out of that corner. Um, and you can return back to their cage. And, you know, usually, um, that, that paint will stay on for, for a day or two. Sometimes they work really, really hard on cleaning it off, and they can clean off that, that paint within, within a day or so. But, um, but yeah, that's the process. Very cool. Um, what, I found, what I found out was that females actually do care about the color of a male's four legs. 
they prefer males that had black legs um, to males that had brown legs. Um, but they only did that whenever there was the vibration signal um, there. When it was done um, in an environment where there was no vibrational signal, um, females didn't care. They made it with brown and black or um, equally. Now, the information, like why would females care about black and brown legs in a, in a different experiment? Um, just like I said, what I did with the, the vibration is I fed some males a lot, some males a little. I did the same thing with this, with this species. And then I took pictures of their forelegs and using Photoshop, I was able to assess how dark or how black the leg was. And I found out that males that eat more had blacker forelegs or darker forelegs than males that didn't eat. And so this, this, this dark color is due to a pigment that males are able to make and put in their forelegs. And it's clearly costly because if you don't have a lot of energy, because you're not eating much, you're not able to invest near as much energy into the production of this pigmentation. And um, then your legs stay relatively lightly colored um, like the rest of your body is. Uh, and like they are pretty much for the rest of their, for their entire life up until maturation. Gotcha. So, oh yeah. So, I mean, it's okay. So it, it's, it's a lot like, I guess, birds spending a lot of, a lot of, you know, energy investment in making that breeding plumage extra colorful. So it's, it's kind of like a, uh, it, it's kind of a, I guess a little bit of a tiebreaker, it sounds like for if the, if, you know, if, if a male's already kind of, demonstrating that he's a potentially quality mate and then the female come and comes and checks him out um that leg color can be kind of like the thing that puts him over the top it sounds like it, you know i think the way we the, what, what we've suggested um was that in the, when the vibration is there the vibration has information in it all in itself and that very likely uh, the vibration was kind of an, an attention getting signal um, that might place um, that whole interaction in the context. So the female might be able to tell the species of that male and that there's a male in the area. They might be able to orient towards the male where he's displaying. And when the, the context is set, okay, I'm, it's the right species, there's a male courting, now she can pay attention to other things that might be important, like, four leg color. Um, it's, I, I, I didn't go into a whole lot is that the, the information and the vibration and like as far as um, food and how much they're eating is on a different time scale than the information in their foreleg. The information in their foreleg is gathered um, based upon their feeding habits when they're developing. So when they're, when they molt to maturation, so that's the way spiders grow, is they shed their exoskeleton off and then they grow a new exoskeleton. And males put that pigmentation into their, their foreleg at their final molt. Once they finally mature and they're reproductively mature, and that's when their legs get dark. So they've been eating all of their life, collecting resources, collecting energy, um, to be able to invest it at, to that point. Now, the vibrational signal 
is more of an instantaneous, like, how well have I been eating, like, these last few days? Um, because vibration isn't necessarily affected um, previously uh, prior to maturation, but it's, it's affected by what am I eating now? So those two pieces of information are probably telling females different pieces of the of the great quality puzzle, I guess I could say. That's really cool. So, so yeah, the pigment in the legs indicates how well they fed during development, and then their yeah, their dance moves yeah. or their vibrations rather <laughs> um, indicate how well they've been feeding recently. But both kind of tell the female, "Hey, I'm I'm good at catching food, and that'd make me a good mate." Absolutely, it's a very yep. very Absolutely. very complicated proposal that they they seem to be making there. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're they're telling their whole life story, really. Yeah, no, really. Um, yeah. So, and, oh, well, I was kind of thinking of another question since we're talking about the, they're recognizing these colors. Um, so I, I guess I was under the impression that, um, you know, spiders, yes, they have a lot of eyes, right? <laughs> I think it's well, some, some, yeah. some, most of, most have eight, some, there's some variation right in there. Um, but yeah. how, how good is there? their actual vision like are, are are they able to recognize colors are they able to i mean they're obviously able to recognize movement um but what uh, what do we know about their vision uh, you know I, I i know like i see um you know when you look at jumping spiders and wolf spiders you know you see those two um what are they called in anterior uh yeah anterior yeah. median eyes anterior median eyes yep. right the two big ones up front yep. right <laughs> so we, we you, yep. you see those and it you think well I, that obviously must have good vision what what is that vision actually like from what i've read the, the jumping spiders have a vision that's the equivalent of a cat um oh, wow. and they can hmm. see in color um they can see in color uh they are uh they they have one of the better visual systems in, in the spider world. Um, wolf spiders less so. They, they, they don't have as good a color vision, um, and uh, they, they don't have quite the visual acuity as a jumping spider does. Uh, I have not read a whole lot on the, uh, the visual systems of the, the dinopids or the ogre-faced spiders. Hmm. Um, they are... Uh, they have the largest eyes uh, as far as surface area goes per unit face of any other animal in, in the in the world. Uh, wow! And they are they they also have good vision, um, but I, I I'm not familiar with the uh, what what colors they could potentially see um, and how good the acuity is. I just know that they invest a lot into um, into their eyes because they're they're mostly night hunters uh, and they will they, they they pull in any kind of um, visual information they can they make these really quick eyes to pull in any kind of light that they can they sit there and hang upside down um, looking at the forest floor they spin those webs between their legs they hold their their, their little web in their in their legs and then wait for something to move underneath them and then they they wrap the, that web around them and they zip back up and they 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 eat their food so they 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 invest a lot in the eye i just don't know the acuity wiser color how how it ends up very interesting um and you said so the ones that do like the the web and the legs and just like 
kind of grab like they're just like you know it seems almost cartoonish that's like just like throwing a bag over something um like are you those are those were called ogre-faced spiders did i hear that right yep that's okay. the common the common name is ogre-faced spiders and the <laughs> the uh it's the dinopidae is the is the family okay i'm gonna have to look these up i've never heard of that so that is uh that's a that's a great name. Yeah, I need to check that out. <laughs> They're really cute, but that's coming from someone who's already quite <laughs> you, fond of you spiders. Might be a little bit biased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have a book series out now. You've just released the second book in your series. Is that right? Yes. Yep. I just really it's just about a month ago um, that the second book came out. Awesome. And uh, the spider, or sorry, the series is called Savannah the Spider. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I I really got into outreach um, into graduate school, and, and right as soon as I got out, uh, inspired by my by my advisor, who focused a lot on outreach, and you know, I, I, I kind of come from the approach of you know, I if I would have known more about spiders when I was young, I wouldn't have spent so long being afraid of them, and so I, I try really hard. To, to communicate um, interesting material to kind of break those fears as far as I can because I think the more we the more we understand about something the less we have to fear about them and that most often arachnophobia is is passed on from it's passed on socially and there really is no need to fear spiders I mean when you look at numbers wise um, they're just not that common, and bites aren't that common. Um, there's no, there's no rational reason why we should be afraid of them. But you know, we we play off of our friends, we play off of our parents. When parents say, "Oh, don't touch that," you know, they have the dangerous All of those things kind of play up in here. And if you can break that early on, um, you can essentially um, kind of break that mold of phobia. And, and hopefully have that be passed on, um, kind of a fascination um, rather than the fear. So that's, that's kind of the motivation behind the book. Um, I, I've done outreach events in person um, ever since I got here in person. I do um, night walks. I've done several um, like events where they're, they're exhibit events where I go to different um uh, like great, I've, I've been at a Great Plains Nature Center one up here at the Smith Person Museum. They have different exhibits and and uh, But I, I realized really quickly that I uh, that I couldn't possibly talk to as many people as I really wanted to um, because I just don't have that much time. So if I can next to the country that travel farther than than I can um, and, and be sent all around the U.S. Uh, that, that that would be a, a better investment. So I started writing a, ch- a children's book um, that was, was fun. I was kind of inspired by um, the Pixar movies. Uh, the, the kids just love the different movies put on by, by that. And, and it, it's nice because they're, they're really funny. They're great stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they're educational. Like, Oh, if you pay attention, there, there's so much information in those movies that they that, that kids don't really understand that they're learning mm-hmm. while they're having fun watching the movie. Uh, so I, I, tr- I tried to write my book in much the same way. 
um, making some of those characters do things that they wouldn't normally do. Like, my first book is Savannah Spider Goes to School. Like, they, spiders don't have to go to school. Um, but it helps it helps kids identify with a character. And then if I can toss in things that spiders actually do, I do that actually point it out to kids and say, you know, I had her do this in the book because that's what spiders do in real life. They can actually do this, which is really, really cool. Then they're enjoying the story. They're getting, they're having fun reading it, um, but they're learning at the same time. Um, and so that written both of my books is to try and uh, capitalize on fun, funny, engaging stories, but still trying to point out information on spiders, on arthropods, and, and, and science in general, which I think is so important right now, is to, to raise a generation of scientific kids. Um, and uh, if I can do that, then, then I've accomplished my goal. Definitely, yeah. And I, I read that first one, and I think that's what I enjoyed about it so much was that, yeah, not only was, was I getting an entertaining story, but I was I was learning something as I went along. So even though I know it's a, a children's book series, um, I definitely would recommend it for any age because it's it's really entertaining, and, and you're definitely going to learn something. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was funny because my mom, I, so I, once the, the book, my second book got published, I sent it on to my mom, and I, I it didn't even take a week from her, and she's like, I learned something from your book. She's like, <laughs> I, she's like I didn't know this, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, and I was like, learning so much, and so you're, you're, you're right. I wrote it for kindergarten through fifth graders, mm-hmm. um, but there is information that can be useful for any age. And so my, my hope is that parents and grandparents reading it to their kids are, that they're learning a little bit too. Uh, and that's, that's Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the, for me, that's one of the big joys of, you know, studying nature, studying science, is that there is always something new to learn. Like there is always something I, you know, working here at Great Plains Nature Center, I find out something new every day, um, and it's uh, yeah. I, I I think that's a that's a lofty uh, a lofty pursuit, and uh, you know I um, I mean as, as as people who share your passion for uh, science education, we you know we we thank you for for doing this kind of stuff, and um, we're you know congrats on the new book. We're we're excited to uh, to to see it. That that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I I, I truly enjoy doing it. It is a passion of mine to share. Um, things that I enjoy with kids. Um, I, I, it, it is something that is not a, it's, it's not a labor, it's a labor of love, and it's something I can just sit down with a sudden time disappears, and um, it's just a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, um, Dustin, thank you so much for, for coming and, and spending some time with us uh, today. We, we have got to get you out uh, and, and, and have you do, uh, do a program with us here again. You, um, we could, we could, I'm sure we could ask you spider questions all day. Uh, we know you don't have that much time. So, <laughs> But uh, th- yeah. thank, you, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Yeah, we appreciate Absolutely. it. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your time. <laughs> well, talk to you soon. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much. Yep. All right. We'll talk yep. later. Have a great day. Right. Bye. Be sure to check out our show notes on gpnc.org slash that's hyphen my hyphen favorite. Thanks to our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review. We'll be back um, soon with some more favorites because 
everything is our favorite.